Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hello everybody, this is Denise and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, delighted to be here and to be in service this morning. Uh, nice to see you, Luke, as well. Haven't seen you in a while. My my brother in service back in the early days. Um, and um, I'm really, I last night I was going to go to bed early because I'm working a lot. And I was just so enthralled by all the speakers. I stayed up until 12. It was an amazing experience. So I'm really grateful for for this marathon. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful event and very powerful. Very nice to see each other um, and to hear from all around the world, people doing different things. And it's just, it's a really, really amazing experience. Um, I'm going to talk about um, service, the willingness to do service and boundaries. And I know in SA, we don't have boundaries. I've always been taught, you know, you're either sober or you're not, you know, it's not about boundaries in that sense, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it at the end of my, my talk. I'll, I'll it'll be clear what I mean by that. Um, and I'll just start by giving a brief, I'll just show, I don't know if people can see here, we have the SA service manual, okay? So everybody can get one of this, these, um, and you can download it, or your group, not you download, you buy it from the SACO website, and um, this has everything to do with service in it, okay? And I'll just see this little picture here, because sometimes I think people think that it's like, you know, we all come from the business world or from our professional lives or whatever. And you're going to think that, okay, the the trustees are, the bosses are on the top, you know, that, and who are those people over there? And, you know, what are they doing? And, and all the rest of it. And actually, uh, SA and the 12-step programs are very, very unique in the world. And they've been described as the most perfect form of democracy that exists. And, this is because there are no leaders. We are, all, we are all but trusted servants. So in the picture here that it's on page uh, one of our service manual. So I don't know how well that can be seen. It's just there. And it gives a kind of a visual description of how our fellowship works. So basically, um, at the top of the pyramid is the SA group. So that's all of you guys in your group and myself and my group. We have a group conscience there, and that's where actually all the decisions are made, believe it or not, because we then feed up to our own, uh, down to our own intergroup. So we'll choose someone from our home group, and they'll go to represent us in the intergroup, and they're called GSRs. Then we send from our intergroup. So, for example, in Ireland, we have I have my home group in Dublin. We have our group rep that goes to the intergroup meetings, the group conscience that's there. We normally have it at a convention. Um 
in November, we just had one. Then we there we would elect an IGR, and the IGR is the same as a GSR, except that they go to the regional assembly in the different areas. So, for example, Emer, who is hosting um, in par, um, hosting this um, marathon, they will have representatives from every country that is a part of Emer, and so there they decide a big group conscience for Emer, and then. People in Emer do the same as we did from the group, and they send people to the General Delegate Assembly. Now, the actual executive body, if you like, of this fellowship is not the trustees, but it is the General Delegate Assembly. They make all the decisions, and the trustees then carry out the decisions that the that the General Assembly delegate has made. Now, there are some roles of the trustees. They actually are, let's say, the legal body in the sense of the names addressed. You've got the legal committee, the translations committee. You've got international committee. And you would have a trustee. These are called trustee committees. And you have a trustee member on each of these committees to carry out the work of the committees, but you would have members, delegates who actually populate these um, committees. Okay. And then we have the SA magazine, which is our publication, which is like our meeting in print. And then we have SA International Central Office, where we have our lovely workers, Laura and Kay and Wendy, who do the administrative work. Um, they, you know, do all the office work for us. They forward, help us out with technical things. Um, but um, so that's kind of your general thing. So basically, the trustees are at the bottom of this uh, pyramid and the, the, the group is at the top. So it is the group that's deciding what our fellowship, you know, through all that voting process, um, it comes down to the trustees and the trustees carry out then what the fellowship has decided on different topics. Okay. And it's all within um, where we are part of the 12 step movement. So there's the traditions, the steps, the concepts, the, the warranty, warranties of service. And um, we're not, you know, different from AA, NA in the service structure. You know, I mean, not that we have to be the same, but we have decided we are a 12-step program. That's what I signed up for. And um, so we follow the traditions of the 12 steps, which is what has been proven to work um, best for us. You know, well, I speak for myself, crazy addicts like myself who have all kinds of issues um around relating and service and ego and power and all sorts of different things. My defects of character. Now we have, um, we have a wonderful literature committee and we have a public information committee that do a huge amount of work. Um, we've got videos that are made on the website. We've got the, inter- the, um, the, the compute, the technology IT de- committee. We've got, you know, everything that you have in the, you know, access to has been made by fellow members who are on in these service roles. So um, we also have the this flyer here, which is called the Spirituality of Service. So that's you can buy that and you put it in your group and everybody knows. Now, this is another thing that's very dear to me is that um, I, I get a little bit frustrated when we have these really fast group consciences, right? It's like, get it done. Let's get this business done. Let's whatever. It's a spiritual process, okay? It's about me learning to be part of a group, to, to there's a voting process, there's sobriety requirements. And often what happens for me is with something will come up, you know, we say we want to buy a certain book. This is just an example. And I don't think this is the right book to buy, you know. 
and everyone votes. We all listen. We vote. Then there's a minority. Somebody you know has a different opinion. Everyone agrees, and then um, they don't vote on what I want them to vote on. Okay, it's a different to what I would like. So I have to learn to say, okay, that's fair enough. If I've been heard, if I've had my chance to speak, if my opinion has been valued, but there has been a different opinion made, then I go away. It's principles above personalities, right? I don't get annoyed or, you know, this big thing. But if it's done without the structure and the format, um, personality comes into play and my feelings get hurt. So for me, it's very important that there's time for this process to, you know, to to come about because actually it's not about the book. It's about, or whatever we're voting on, it's about the process. It's a spiritual process in my experience. And I was just listening to Kathy on the other channel and I found she did and the other members, but I I got the most of Kathy's and it was amazing to hear her speak because she's a great member. Um, Essay is for women is another uh, flyer that we put out just to, you know, they also have this in other fellowships, you know, for young people, for women, for this, for that. There's different things just to help, you know, to be clear on this is a mixed fellowship, a fellowship of men and women. We read it at every meeting. And so I always get a bit surprised when there are things called men's meetings and women aren't allowed in. It's a fellowship of men and women. We read in the very opening of our meetings okay so these are things that are discussed and so um we also have the real connection which is a new book on um daily reflections we finished it which is amazing okay um so that's just sort of a general i outline according to denise well to the best of my you know knowledge and experience and i want to talk about what it means to do service for me because I also feel for me, I don't know if I didn't do service, I wouldn't be sober. Um, I started my recovery 20 years ago in a different program and um, I was taught, literally I was like educated um, by my fellow members, people who'd gone before me, that service isn't an option um, in the sense that it's um, like a three, a three-legged stool, okay? So you've got, you know, the fellowship, you've got your service, and you've got your, your own personal step work and, and, and that. And if you don't do all three, the promises can't come true in your life. And people say, I don't have the program, I don't understand, and, and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, actually, you know, you need to do all three things to get the promises, you know? Now, in our tradition one it says um i'll just make sure i read it properly um people think our primary purpose is to stay sober um but as a fellowship um our primary purpose is to bring the message to the still suffering sexaholic okay um so that is tradition i can't see the tradition anyway um our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on SA unity um, is one of our traditions. Each, each group, tradition five, it is, um, if you want to read it. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the sexaholic who still suffers. So actually, without the group, there's no personal recovery. 
So our, you know, we tend, and I know myself, I went into the program and I was thinking, well, I have to do my step work, my personal, you know, which is true because obviously I have to be sober in the sense that I can't be acting out and doing service um, because it just wouldn't work and has no purpose. But actually, um, it's the group that comes before me because if I have no group, I have no 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 possibility of recovery you know and i think there seems to be i see sometimes my feeling is there's kind of that opposite thing it, it's me and and you know and it took me quite a while of education by long term members and going to lots of different meetings on the traditions the concepts uh, and the steps, obviously, um, to get this wisdom that was transmitted to me from the people who've been there before me, you know. Um, and another thing is that, I mean, I don't know if people have noticed, but old timers, you'll, you'll find them in the meetings still, you know, and you're like, well, why is this person still going to meetings? And maybe some days the person isn't going, let's say they're not being, this, you know, assaulted by lust or there mightn't be anything going on in particular in their um, lives. But if there had been, if I had arrived at a meeting and all of the people who've been sober before me hadn't shown up, I wouldn't have got recovery, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like that new modern thing of pay it forward thing. For me, it's more because if I didn't do service, I wouldn't be sober. And that's just my own journey in it. Um, all my sponsors have always done service. All the long-term members that I know, they're all doing service. And they, there's definitely a connection because that is the solution. The solution isn't just doing your step work, um, which I'm not trying to. Obviously, I need to do my step work, but it's a combination of the three strands that we need to do. And um, so my own journey, um, I was really taught, you know, um, I was in a different country from my own and they're very passionate where I was recovering and they were say they were very like outspoken. That was their culture. And they were saying, you know, my sponsor said, you go down to that group conscience. And if you have to throw a chair, throw a chair, you have to get your experience out there because believe it or believe it not, those who know me, I was very shy and would not speak. I would not speak. Um, and that took years of Italian <laughs> sponsors to get me to where I am today. I felt like I had no right to exist. I felt I had no space on this planet. I was getting thinner and thinner, quieter and quieter. And I was, you know, slowly um, excusing myself from the world. And so God brought me to a place where I felt very comfortable for some unknown reason and uh, where the culture was just what I needed, you know, talk about feelings, shout, give out, you know, have opinions. And the group conscience is where I learned how. And then, of course, I learned to, you know, I felt like I was shouting, but actually I wasn't. Do you know, I mean, it was for me to say, I think um, meant for me meant I was shouting, but I wasn't. I was just, you know, speaking. And so I learned, um, to do, to do that. So, um, so, you know, the service was, you know, fixing the chairs, making coffee, then you'd be, you know, secretary of the meeting, which means basically you are the person that opens the room if there's a key necessary sometimes. And then you are the one who just leads the meeting. You read the format and depending on your group, <clears throat> sometimes you re you choose the literature to be, you know, to be, to be read, or sometimes there's a structure in place in your group. Sometimes you have speakers coming to your groups to speak. 
Um, but you kind of then, if there's any sort of, you keep the meeting on time, if there's any sort of moderation or whatever, you can, you can do that. That's your role. But beyond that, you know, that's all it is. You're the, you're, you're the first speaker sometimes, you know, um, but then there's other service roles and I've done wonderful experiences. Like I've done public information where I've spoken to doctors and nurses and I've been, I spoke to the clergy here in Ireland, um, do prison service. Um, now, this was not for SA, and we haven't had the blessing of being able to do prison service in Ireland yet, um, but I would have gone in for AA for years into male and female prisons. Um, and I don't know why I was be sitting there in this disgusting room <laughs> with these young people that I went into the young person's prison as well. And I just, this is where I'm meant to be. This is God's purpose for me. And like, go figure, why would that be God's purpose for me? You know, sitting here. And I managed to bring the SA message there too, because they had come across SA, some of these, these members, you know, so all of that learning, I mean, I learned so much and being involved in, you know, the insurance of the group, uh, treasurer, I hate treasury and I was treasurer for years. You know, these are spiritual concepts but also learning for me is such a privilege like. And then, you know, when you do the international service, you meet lots of people from all over the world and it's just wonderful, you know. Um, I have lots of friends. Anywhere I go, I can find the nearest meeting. Um, and when I go to the States and I find it very difficult because it's so far away and it's so big and I don't understand how it works, I get very frightened. And so I have members over there who are able to, you know, I'm able to hook up with through service because it's not personal. Like I'm not ringing up male members saying, hi, how's it going? You know, I'm doing service with these people. And then I have a safe network of sober members to be in contact, male and female, because I've had bad experiences with female members. Um, so it's not just, you know, about that kind of boundary there. Now, boundaries for me, um, I was thinking, I was went to a meeting yesterday and I was hitting rock bottom with overwork. I am just really, my brain just goes bananas with overwork and I could feel I was hitting rock bottom. So fortunately, I've created a habit of recovery, which means I go to regular meetings, I have connections, I ring my sponsor every Thursday, I have another sponsor. So I've got this routine. So when I'm crazy, I, it saves my life because I'm so automated to do these things that you know, rather than make a decision to go somewhere else to do something else, I find myself making decisions that, you know, I think God is just dropping them into my head, which I know God is. So I said, okay, I'm, I have this new job and I have all the stuff to do and in a kind of overwhelmed powerlessness over, over work. And God has given me this new job next to an AA meeting that I really like. So I'm freaking out. I want to be on my computer, but I go to the meeting anyway. So I'm sitting in this meeting, about six people, very small meeting for this meeting. And the topic is service and boundaries and service. So I'm like, I don't even have to prep for this talk because the higher power gave me a meeting where I'm hearing all the shares of these members. Um, and so there was a, a long term member in the group. And I mean, I hadn't said, oh, I'm going to speak about this or whatever. It was just the topic of the meeting. And it was just such a blessing. So I was sitting there and I was, you know, all, all, automatically I feel relaxed. I feel I'm not doing what I shouldn't be doing. I'm getting I'm tapping into that power of um, the higher power in the rooms, because I believe that's where it is. So even at intergroup or all the business meetings, for me, they're not business meetings. God is in the room. My brain turns off when I go into those places. 
elsewhere my brain turns on, you know, when I'm in any kind of fellowship meeting at all, my, I'm in contact with my higher power. Um, that's just my experience. But um, so I, I got this great thing because um, I don't have boundaries always in service. You know, I do too much and then I get annoyed. These are asking me to do all this, but nobody's asked me, you know, I'm volunteering. I can't say no, you know. And anyway, it's it's like, you know, my attitude is just my own illness, my own problem, you know. So I was sitting there in the meeting and this old, this older, uh, this man who'd been in the fellowship like 30 years or something and he was sharing and he was, was really interesting and it made me really reflect um, the difference between being in service and of service. And I can find myself saying, oh, I'm in service, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing the other. And my ego's getting in there and going, don't they know I'm this and they don't they know I did that? Or there's this sense of I'm getting my self-worth from this service, you know, saying, well, and uh, when I say I'm going to do a service role, it's not just the name of it. I have to actually do what it takes to fulfill that role. So if I'm a general secretary of a big group and I was part of a very big AA group and there was like 150 people and there was like seven servers in it, um, when they ring you on a Saturday or on Christmas morning because they need, they forgot the key or they need the toilet roll or something, as general secretary, I have to get up off my chair and go and give the key to the person, you know. So if I'm doing a service role, it's not just the name of the service. I have to be committed to know what is required for that role, you know. And of course, we don't have to do it to perfection, you know. And um, that's another one of my addictions. But that was interesting to say, don't take on something unless you know what it is. And also that you're willing to do the, the nitty gritty work involved in it, which is, you know, not necessarily nitty gritty, but, you know, just as that's one aspect. But, um also then that to be in service, people can hide in, in service and not do what it takes to stay sober for themselves. And this gentleman actually shared that he had been in service for a long time and he had a slip. And I just reflected um, on my early recovery. There was a member and this was in my other fellowship and he was doing service and he was great and all the rest of it. And he slipped and then he, he died you know, and his partner found him. She was a member of AA as well. And um, it was devastating for all of us because he was hiding behind his service. Now, I don't know this man's story. I'm sure, you know, there was other things there. That was just a reflection that came into my mind, you know. Um, so this is very important being of service. Being of service means I'm not the role. I'm just being helpful. I'm being of service to others. Um, and I don't need recognition for it. And it's not that I'm fulfilling something because I get overwhelmed. <gasps> I am this role. I have to be able to do this. I have to, under, you know, I have to understand. I No, just be helpful as much as you can. Um, and so for me, that is fundamental around the boundaries of service, you know, that um, not to be sort of taking on too much or using it to fulfill or to hide out. Or I, I know there is the problem on the other side of it that some people just don't do anything, you know. So I think there, there, 
the two sides of the same coin, you know, either hiding in service or not doing any service. Um, and also there's this thing of when people get around a certain length of time of recovery, like they're not, they're sober a certain length of time and they've been in, in the meeting and that, um, you have these two figures that's in the, they, you find them in the big book. One is the bleeding deacon and the other one is the elderly statesman. Um, and the bleeding deacon is the old timer has to have an opinion on everything and they're in charge of everything and they're telling everybody everything and feeling responsible for everything. And they kind of dominate the group on some level and, and maybe on some without wanting to or meaning to stunt the growth maybe of the group because the higher power needs to work through everybody at, at where they're at. Then you have the elderly statesman or woman um, where they just sit and when, you know, they get off the roles on some level and they just people come to them and they give their opinion when asked you know and I have to humbly say that I'm tending more towards the bleeding deacon than the elderly stateswoman in my home group and I find it a real frustration for myself and I I'm laughing because I know it must be a process this too is a process you know you get to a certain point um, and I'm just asking my higher power to help me age gracefully in every sense, physically in real, the real world, and also within my service structure and my program, that I will be, you know, an elderly stateswoman rather than um, a bleeding deacon. Um, and so, yeah, so boundaries in that sense. Um, but beyond that as well, my, my boundaries are, um, so just as a woman in the fellowship, I found service essential in SA because I met all the long-term members. I had safe numbers, safe contact, you know, I spend a lot of time with members. Um, women are on their own often and the only opportunity they have to access the program is through the, the service with the male members. And to be safe for all of us, I think in every men and women and men with men, women with women, everyone to be safe, that, you know, you need to be in a context where there's a group and, and, and all of that. Um, and when I'm doing service, um, I accept anyone's number. Like I have everyone I've ever, you know, in my number has been out in the fellowship for years, my email for years, like for 12 years. And once I had a problem once. So if there's anybody concerned about that, and I really believe God protects us in our anonymity, you know, and I mean, my SA meeting was around the corner from my job. And if it was, if it was, if it was discovered that I was in this fellowship in my job, I would never work again, you know, and it's 12 years and, you know, God protects, you know, when your, your, your spirit is right and your heart is right. Um, and I'll end on this. I'm really grateful for all the members in Ireland and I'm grateful for the examples I've got of, of really sober recovery and the members here, my, my, my brothers in, in fellowship who were, who guided me, who educated me, if you like. And they, and their thing was, there are no men and women in SA, only members you know, and, um, you know, and that's where the healing lies. And I'm very grateful for you all. And I'll leave it at that. Thanks. And I'll pass you on to you now. Thank you, Denise. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. My, my name is Luke. I'm um, an SA fellow. I'm originally from Belgium. But since a bit over two years, I'm living in Barcelona, Spain. And uh, as Denise said that her 
her prep for this talk was in a meeting yesterday evening and in an A meeting. My prep was listening to Denise talk and make some make some things that popped up because I I I didn't I could say I didn't have time, I didn't make time, and it was very busy also the last days to, to prepare. But I'll try to, to speak from my own experience too. First of all, I was thinking service, service. I, I'm made to serve. Um, I have the choice. I don't have the choice not to serve. I have the choice what do I serve? Do I serve my lust and my stomach and my, my other drifts and, 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 and um, deviating senses? Or do I serve a, a, some, something bigger than myself? Do I serve my ego or do I serve something bigger than myself? That's the choice I have. And I'm very grateful for SA. Um, I was in the 12 steps before getting into SA. But it's really in SA that, um, that I really found out what's for me, what service, that I really found joy of service and, and endless opportunities to serve. Um, nine years ago, I went for three months to Nashville to do three meetings a day because I couldn't stay sober. And my sponsor who, who lived in Nashville, he suggested me to come to Nashville. And I did so. And even over there, I immediately, with my first days, with my, my first weeks of sobriety, I immediately started serving also. I was on time at all the meetings. I was even before the meeting started there. Uh, I, I helped setting, setting up the room. I sent a report, a little email, almost daily to the fellows in Belgium saying how I was doing and, and sharing what I heard in the meetings, the good stuff I heard in the meetings, the experience I was, I was gathering there. I was passing it on. I was giving it, giving what I, every day the things that I got, I passed them on to the guys in Belgium. So from the beginning, I was doing service. We don't need, I think we don't need to be sober for one year or five years or 10 years, 20 years to do service. Everybody can do service from the very first day he or she gets into SA, doing the service that is suitable at that moment, getting to meetings in time. I have to say I'm very bad on it the last two years since I'm in Spain to get on time in the meetings. But before I was always on time in the meetings, I had the key to open uh, a couple of meetings in Belgium. So I opened, I started a couple of meetings. I translated literature in the beginning into, into Flemish, into Dutch. Um, I did the first year I did a PI, I organized a PI meeting for professionals. I was one of the guys who started the intergroup, arranged for a phone and email address. Then our intergroup, our Flemish intergroup, wanted to join the English guys, English and Irish guys. And so they opened up to a new region, which became Emer. And at the first meeting of Emer, 
we were a couple of persons and somebody had to make the reports, the minutes. So I said, I can do the minutes. And that became a, a service role of three years as a secretary, which I didn't plan to do. And so I also did service on the international level. And I sponsored. For After three months, I started sponsoring. And so SA became my girlfriend for, for, for the first seven years of, of sobriety. SA became my girlfriend, and I was so happy with that girlfriend. And I went to seven, eight, nine conventions or workshops per year. I spent all my money on it. And, um, but then two years ago, I got married. And today, my biggest service, my biggest service field is, is in my marriage. I needed, I, I needed, I was obliged to, de- to decrease my service in SA and to increase the service in my marriage, which is completely in line with the program because step 12 says, the last part of step 12 says, we try to practice these principles in all our affairs. So not only in the fellowship, but in all my affairs. And um, it, it's, it, it's an ongoing process of gradual willingness because to be honest, how to say, I, liked, I, I love doing service in the fellowship and I love it more than doing service in my marriage. And so it's, 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 it's a gradual willingness because also I'm afraid if I do less service in the fellowship that I will get disconnected or that I would um, get weakened or that I would relapse, stuff like that. So, but gradually I decreased and I'm still decreasing um, service in, in the fellowship and increasing the service in my marriage. Um, Yeah, I, I, I do my part in the households. I do my part in getting money in. I, I spend quality time with my wife. Also, that is something I have to learn doing because I'm, I'm selfish and self-centered by default. I, I tend to isolate when things go bad. Um, but so... My service at the moment is to do what doesn't come... Naturally, as, the, as Roy Kay writes in the White Book, which means spending quality time with my wife or opening myself up even when I don't feel like it, also when I don't want it. Um, I just recently started up a, an English-speaking meeting here in Barcelona. It's very recent, so I don't know if it will, if it will really take root. Um, but I, I keep sponsoring people, not as much as before, but I keep sponsoring. And I keep talking like now or talking somewhere when, when people ask me because I love talking. Um, I love the other things also. And at the moment, of course, we have an international convention in Madrid, the first international convention on European territory. It's in January, for those of you who don't know it, 11, 12, 13 January. At the moment, we are coming close to 300 participants of SA and SNOM, and the convention center is full. Yeah, so people who still want to register, you will have to register in a nearby hotel because the convention center is full. 
Now, I like I liked a lot what I heard Denise say of don't be in service but of service. And it makes me think that I was I was um, I did the, I did a couple of services in Emer, and then I also did the services as delegate, and all of a sudden those services were finished, and all of a sudden I was Mister Nobody again. Just before that I was like delegate and doing this and that, and then five minutes later I was just the little guy in a, in, a, in one of the groups in the world again. But the truth was that I had always been that little guy in one of the groups in the world, again, another bozo on the bus. So I could see how my ego got into it also. How I, how I, yeah, which is a natural thing, I guess. So, but it, it took time or it's, it, it has been a spiritual uh, learning experience again to see that everything passes and that, yeah, the, 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 the right thing is to be, in, to be of service. Yeah? And that's also, how can I be of service today? Yeah? And today, how I can be of service, most of all, is by being flexible, by letting go of control, especially in the marriage, by letting go of control, by being flexible. Because many, when I was single, I could do, I had planned things and I could do them at three o'clock. I'm going to do this at seven o'clock. I do this when I get home. I make this report or I do that or I have that sponsor call. Now it's very, very different. Yeah? My wife can ask me all of a sudden, oh, I don't feel well. I need a talk or I can't do this now because I have to work longer at work. Can you do this? And I, it's very hard for me then to be of service. It's more easy for me to say, no, I planned, I planned it differently. I can't do this. So my service today is to, to be flexible, to, to let go of control and to trust that God will, that God is choreographing, that God is managing things. And I, I don't have to micromanage things. It's, it's a very hard learning school at the moment. Um, and maybe to end. Um, yeah, I also had to decrease service in SA because the last six months I joined two new fellowships. Uh, one about money, uh, 12-step fellowships, and another one about rage, anger and rage, because I just see that these things are still blocking me and I've worked the steps a couple of times uh, through NSA and I'm, I'm trying to work the steps, the maintenance steps, but these are areas in which I needed more help. So all these things for me together, uh, together today, they, they together they are service today. Whereas in the past I was only serving my senses yeah, my mouth, my taste, my, my, my lust, my sex drive. Today, it's like yeah, getting more and more off service and, and also more and more anonymous service or less self-feeding service. Marriage is helping with that a lot. 
because I'm, uh, yeah, um, I'm not praised every minute or every day for what I'm doing. And I want to be treated special in order to feel normal. But that's, that's not working here. Um, yeah, and boundaries also, I need to sleep enough. I, I, I relate to what I heard Denise say, that sometimes I get overworked or overworked in work and service and marriage and different things, and then I don't, I, I don't sleep enough then. So that's a very important thing. Um, and also a last thing, to give the first part of my day to God. And I'll end with a little story that my sponsor, I think, told me. He told me that there was this captain, and he went with his crew. They went on a boat, on a boat trip. They had to go. It's, uh, it was a boat trip of a couple of months to another continent to do business. And the captain, every morning, he would wake up very early, and he would give the first part of the day to his higher power. And the crew was laughing with it. And behind his back, they were ridiculing him. Like, look at him, and at five o'clock in the morning, he's meditating and, and lighting a candle and praying and blah, blah, blah. And they found it was a silly thing. But then, after a couple of weeks on the ocean, there was a, a, a huge storm, and the storm lasted for days. And every morning, well, the, kept, the crew during the storm, and they, they really believed that the ship was going to, to sink and to, to get destroyed. And the crew, they ran around all day as headless chicken. And they were running around and crying out to, to God, and please help us and please don't let us die. But the captain was very cool-headed, yeah? very uh, balanced in his mind and in everything he did, and they were amazed at it. And then when the storm uh, finally calmed down, they asked him, how, how did you do that? How did you stay so calm? And he said, well, you were running around through the day, yeah, crying out for God as headless chicken, but I gave him the best part of the day in the beginning of the day. And then for the rest of the day, I'm balanced to do the things I need to do. So for me, the main thing to do any service at all, whether it be an SA, whether it be this talk, whether it be with my marriage, whether it be my paid work, I need to give God the first place of the day because otherwise I'm, I'm walking around as a headless chicken throughout the day and I can't be of good service. I'm, I'm non-flexible then. I'm very easily disturbed and I, I get very easily angry. So I hope that this, this makes some kind of sense and I happily give it back to Denise. Thank you. Um, so we're going to open it up for any questions um, now and or any brief shares and Daniel will give us a hand with that. I think um, the messages are on the side, Daniel, are they? Well, does anyone, does anyone one question right now um, um, directly from, 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 from someone who's watching and, that, and I'll read it out to you guys. It was uh, specifically around boundaries. Uh, I face a problem in making new boundaries. Now I do not watch films or music that are triggers for me, but I do not watch films and listen to music at all. I have a good reason for that. I dream and stay in my mind or going to the future after actions like watching TV or spending a lot of time on the internet. 
I become unconscious and confused and distressed. My sponsors agree with this idea. My sponsor agrees with this idea, but I think she is not so much serious. Actually, it's too hard for me to quit films, music, and unnecessary searches on the internet. I think they are such powerful habits, and all of my family watch TV. It's always on. What should I do? Yeah, I knew the the buzzword of boundaries would be a bit of a... um, So for me, when I was talking about boundaries, it was more about looking after my physical well-being and not taking on too much, because I think that... In our program, particularly the SA program, we have no boundaries around lust in the sense that I'm either lusting or I'm not. And if there is something that is creating lust in me, I need to surrender it to God and let it go. Um, I know that in my very early recovery, um, there were a lot of different things that were very, very difficult for me. They would have triggered me, you know, um, in a number of ways. And I had to put in place surrender. You know, so for example, the obvious one for us all, I think, is well, you know, let's not go to a, a shop that sells pornography. You know, that's kind of very much a place. What am I going there for? But for me, that's not a boundary. That's a choice around my sobriety, um, which is different. You know, that's me choosing not to lust. Um, and for me, when it comes to, you know, the television and all those the different things, um, I now, after a few years, watched uh, some television, but not much. I am careful. I have my own, you know, I know what I should watch. and what. Well, I don't know. I have guidance around it, but it is very difficult. And even recently myself, I had to say, well, I'm not going to watch this anymore, you know. So I do believe that at a certain point, most of us do end up not watching television and listening to music or different things. And the Internet... Um, I personally, when I was, you see, it's about lusting or not lusting, because if I'm not lusting, I will use my computer for the, the SA marathon. I will use it for work. I will use it for, it won't occur to me to look up other things. If I'm lusting, that's different. So it's all around whether a person is lusting or not, and to stay away from places where I find lust for me. I'll leave it at that. Thanks. Maybe I just wanted to say I I agree completely with Denise says. I, uh, I we don't have a television in our house. I don't have a television anymore since already no since nine years. Um, recently, my wife and I tried one month of Netflix out. My wife is my wife is in the fellowship also. She has seven years of sobriety. And we tried one month of Netflix. We tried four or five movies in that one month. And we decided we couldn't handle it. So we, we uh, stopped with the, with the contract. So we don't have films in the house. Uh, we rarely listen to music. And I even don't read books. I read books, but I don't read novels. Because novels for me, they create like an imaginary world which is out of reality again. And then, like what I heard in, in the question of the, of the person, it's like, then I'm for hours or for days, I'm in this imaginary world, world with these imaginary persons, even after reading the book, and I'm not in reality again. I'm a person who is very, very sensitive. Now, I just want to say also, it's for everybody different. I know my sponsor has a television, and my previous sponsor also, and they're watching television, so 
but I couldn't agree more with Denise by saying that whatever creates lust, it has to go out of my life because I, I just can't handle it and it's going to drag me down. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's exactly the same for me. I find that I, you know, I watch, but I, I actually get to work my program around that personally um, because I, I do I do enjoy watching, but um, that that's the place where I have to surrender lust. Um, and, and that's fine. That's, that's part of the work in my program. Um, I actually had a question, I think a little bit more for Denise, about, um, about service. Um, you know, I find myself very similarly um, taking on position after position after position. I love it. I'm crazy. Um, I just, you know, um, I've already had positions on every level of the, of, of the national region. Um, you know, and I, I look at you and I think, oh, I, when am I going to be a trustee? I'm like running ahead. When do you, you know, and how do you, you know, how long did it take you to learn how to, how to say no and when to say no? Um, you know, for me, I really, I, I, I definitely have trouble saying no and I enjoy it and it definitely keeps me sober uh, from a sponsee level to a secretary level to an intergroup level. It all, you know, it all gets me out of myself, um, gets me out of my head, which can be a dangerous place to be. Um, but obviously, you know, I have a big family. I have a lot of other things going on in my life. When do you learn how to, uh, you know, how do you learn how to like start to say no? I guess that's really the question of boundaries and in this topic, isn't it? Anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. Um, as I say, I kind of chose this topic because it's something that I need to really put into practice myself. And as I mentioned earlier, recently, I, I seem to be having some kind of crash around the whole thing. Um, and talking to my sponsor, <laughs> I actually said to her, you know, what should I prioritize? You know, and so that's the first port of call. What does your sponsor say? The person who knows you best, you know, and my sponsor said, Denise, she, she doesn't often give me direct guidance because I have a sponsor and um, each person has a different kind of sponsor. I think you have a sponsor that you need, that the higher power gives you. And she doesn't give me direct guidance very often. Um, but she said, Denise, you have to focus on earning money. So all of a sudden, everything just fell into place and I got serene again. Because, oh yeah, Denise is not self-supporting financially at the moment, so she needs to focus on money. Um, I'm not married, so I don't have to factor in, you know, um, a husband's needs, you know. But I was living with two people and I have a dog and I have lots of siblings and I have family and I have relationships. And, you know, a lot of my disease would have been, I was away, I left the country, my siblings suffered you know, growing up. Now I am present for all of my nieces and nephews, their birthdays, you know. So there's no point in me being sober if I'm still thinking only of myself. I mean, there is a point I'm sober, but it's not really, do you know what I mean? And the, as Luke mentioned there, it's about in all of my affairs in the workplace, you know. And that's where I can notice I can fail because even though I'm single, I will still... Um, you know, not give my energies to my, my work colleagues or my family or my dog, you know, um, and my life. And so I think it's very important, you know, we're not being asked to, to, to hide in service. 
you know, and I'll end on this. And in this meeting that God gave me yesterday, um, they were sharing this man. He was a married man like yourself there. And he said he was early recovery and he was hanging out with the tea and the coffee until like for five hours after the meeting. And at one point he got a sponsor and his sponsor looked at him after the meeting and said, why are you still here? And he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you've got a wife. You need to go home now, you know, to be of service. Of course, you have your needs, but leave it that. Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I, I find myself, um, I guess it's kind of, because I'm, I'm a serial escapist, so I find myself escaping in everything, which means that there's no, uh, you know, I'm so busy with everything all the time. One second, we just have a problem. Someone ended Channel B, and I don't know why they did that. Um, oh, man, that's not good. You guys could speak for a couple of minutes while I work yes, this out. Yes, sure can. Sorry. Luke, do you want to add anything, Luke? Or Oh, you need to be unmuted, though. Okay, he's not unmuted. Ah, no, you're still muted. I'm unmuted now. No, I don't have anything to add. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Um, there are no other questions, Daniel, you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, um, I just heard as well recently somebody say, and actually my doctor said this to me, said, um, oh, yeah, some people are addicted to stress. And I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> because I go down also part of it. I am addicted to stress and negativity, and I'm, you know, and all of these things. And my body gets sick and all the rest of it. So, you know, um, this is working our program, working it on saying no emotionally and in reality saying no. Because I can say no. You ask me to do something. I'm very clear today. Yes, no, I like this. I don't like that. But inside, I'm not so clear emotionally with myself. You know, I can say, oh, God, I should have said yes. They'll hate me now. What's going on? You know, so it's all a process of the internal matching the external. Yeah, so um, any final, we, we got, we had that little... Um... Are there any more questions or shares? Um, let me just check one second. No. Just a few thank yous from Keith and from Martin. Um, so, yes, yeah, so if you guys want to just, like, you know, wrap up the topic for a couple of minutes and then we're going to move on to the next speaker we want. Yeah, maybe this is Luke. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you, Daniel, for uh, your service. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the quality and and the beauty of everything about uh, Sim compared to last year. And last year was already a grand success. Um, secondly, just to wrap up by saying that, yeah, I'm I'm made to serve. That's how I'm, I've been created by God as I see him or by nature or whatever you want to call it. I'm created to play a part in the big whole and not to be on my own and turning around my own 
center. Um, so, and the more I do that, the more I'm saving myself for another day of being satisfied, being joyful, and not having to return to to serve my senses. In other words, not to having to return to the addiction. And I'm I'm very grateful for it because it's it's giving me. I remember in the beginning when I was in Nashville, they told me in recovery we have to replace pleasure pleasure and excitement by joy and peace. We have to replace pleasure and excitement by joy and peace. And I thought joy and peace. That's boring. I want pleasure and excitement. But today, service is pleasurable and it is exciting. And it gives a lot of joy and peace. So I don't, by giving up the, the pleasure and excitement of the, of the disease, I got all of it. I got joy and peace and pleasure and excitement. But in, in recovery. Thank you. Denise, are you still there? Oh. I am, yeah. It was a very good point. It was a very good point. I'm made for service. I'm built for service. That's my purpose, is to serve. That's, that's it. And that's important. 